You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 23. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jalana Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! What? How are you? Hey! Hey, son, hey, son! Yes, how are you? This? Oh, okay. Hey, son, hey, son? Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. <laughs> This is beginning to become um, a language lesson. It uh, is a language Language lesson. course. Sziasztok! Oh! Good! Heard it Very enough good. times now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it then? <laughs> <laughs> hey, son, hey, son! Hey son, hey son. It's it's easier than what you usually say. Yeah, yeah. I'll 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 surprise you again next week. Okay. So how how are you? I'm pretty good, mm-hmm. thank you. Great. Good, good, thank you. Yeah. yeah. How are you? Life is good. Life is good. Life treats you well. Mm-hmm. I think that's good to hear. You know, uh, considering the alternative. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, unless there is really an afterlife. Oh, and then I've bet I've been betting on the wrong horse all along. <laughs> definitely <laughs> great um our regular listeners have probably noticed something um um kind of a reoccurring pattern in our publishing uh of the the new episodes uh, week after week um and this pattern is that it has shifted towards the end of the week in the in the last couple of weeks And uh, that is uh, due to uh, uh, the technicality of post-producing the podcast. Uh, it's one thing that we're recording on a certain day, but uh, it takes a couple of days to to edit it and put it together in its final version. Um, originally, as you probably know, the listeners, we started publishing the um, episodes on Wednesdays. From now on, the the date of publishing will be Friday. So... That's that's the day um, you should expect our episodes to come out week after week. Um, hope you don't mind that, but yeah. Then with this, uh, we kind of uh, join the club of a skeptical podcasts releasing their episodes on the weekend. Um, you probably remember um, on the last episode, I um, quickly mentioned um, John Oliver and his take on. Uh, science and scientific uh, science reporting yes yes um yeah since then it's been all over the place like all websites all science bloggers all skeptical bloggers all skeptical organizations uh shared it on facebook on their websites on their blogs and even it's amazing even outside the skeptic community as i see it yeah. on my on my facebook Yeah, I think the reason for that is because he really raised important questions and and actually the right questions. And um there is one um long article that is a collection of smaller articles on Elsevier's uh website. Um you probably know Elsevier is one of the greatest publishers of scientific content sure and the great article's title is from scientific study to public opinion is john oliver right they start with uh praising the the show and how cleverly and how accurately raises uh these important questions but then they move on to what the solution could be 
and they uh, write about science reporting, they uh, write about science journalism, and uh, there is one uh, particular figure I I would like to mention, uh, who's the director of Sense About Science, Tracy Brown. And she starts with praising uh, the show as well, but then she moves on to, okay, and what can we do? Because there, it's one thing to raise awareness about uh, these uh, bogus claims that, that whatever uh, parades as science reporting is not necessarily that, and we should be able to distinguish. But the question remains, how? And that is always the question for skeptics, right? Uh, especially when we try to persuade people that what they hear, read, or or see is not necessarily real. And she mentions, of course, ask for evidence, the campaign, and how they can uh, they can ask specific questions about a certain topic, and that's a great connection made there, and. I think this raises the question of uh, of it becoming international again, that this is the kind of uh, service that skeptical organizations could provide to the general public, that they could be the hubs, the, the, the meeting point between the public and science and scientists. And this is what she goes on about. Uh, uh, Tracy Brown and there are others uh, talking about media as well so it's a very interesting article and we're going to link to the the article on the show notes great so guys yep are we all ready to go we are absolutely yes let's jump right into it Yelena yes Andres I know know we've shifted the date what date is it the 20th? 20th of May, yes. Did something interesting happen ever on this day? Yeah, there's always something ha- interesting happening uh, on every day, really, if you think about it. But um, this day... Oh, we're getting philosophical here. Yeah, well, it, it is a bit of a philosophical theme that I chose uh, for this day. Well, it's not me who chose it. It's just something that happened on the 20th of May in 2010. There was an event set up for uh, a support of an artist threatened with violence for drawing representation of Islamic prophet Muhammad. And it was an event called Everybody Draw Muhammad Day. And um, there was a Facebook page set up um, and lots of people around the world uh, were invited to submit their drawings on the 20th of May. And as far as I know, actually, it continued and still continues uh, until today um i've logged into facebook page i'm I'm not actually following it there myself but um there were still some postings last year um and i think when it all kicked off a few years ago with um the uh news about um caricaturists um cartoonists being threatened Mm -hmm. and um Actually, subsequently, of course, we also know that killed, um, i.e. in Charlie Hebdo events in, in France, um, for drawing uh, Mohammed. Um, it felt like a surreal thing that cannot happen in 21st century. Surely we came so far, we advanced in science, um, we uh, rationally thinker, we ra- we're thinking rationally, uh, we're always evolving, and yet 
these kind of atrocities are still ha happening. So I always almost felt at the time that um, that was the beginning of the end of free speech, which was the most mm -hmm. like horrible feeling in the world, really. Because if we don't have that, what, what do we have? Um, and I think not surprisingly and maybe because of what happened the political correctness gone absolutely wild in uh, in the past couple of years and we all feel it on ourselves um everything is censored um and uh, it's very hard to discuss certain topics in public and people who do discuss those topics get a lot of flack for it and if they'd only get flack that's you know that's <laughs> that's the uh, best case scenario sometimes death threats and sometimes they're being killed um so that's why this day I think pretty important. I I was quite surprised to see that the event on Facebook doesn't have more likes. I think it's over a thousand likes there. And I guess I should be saying, you know, let's let's all join because if if we all join in this movement and show the bullies that we all um join together and up against uh, this then this certainly they can't kill all of us can they mm, yeah um but um it's pretty scary although living in england uh i personally can talk from my own experience of course um, i don't know how other people feel um i sometimes get questions from like my relatives and friends who who just watch events that unfold in England from outside. Um, and they say, well, aren't you scared to go out um, into public places, underground? Especially because there was actually a, a terrorist attack happened in underground a few years ago in London. Um, and I don't. I really don't feel scared. I don't, I don't think about it. I mean, I, I will never stop living my life the way I do and, you know, do things. Um, but I can totally see other people's lives being completely ruined. So the cartoonist who drew the original Mohammed um, sketch where the Mohammed was portrayed as a teacup or some, some other things, um, she had to go into hiding and she still is in hiding as far as I know um, um, because she was threatened and her life was threatened, and she had to change the identity, etc. Well, there are no right or wrong answers, and there are no quick solutions. But we need to keep fighting and pushing back so that um, our freedom of speech isn't destroyed completely. It's interesting that you say that in, in, in England you can feel pretty uh, safe, etc. But I'm sure that the, uh, the Charlie Hebdo people in Paris felt fairly safe as well. And we have... a. In Sweden, safe Sweden, we have uh, an artist called Lars Wilks, who has for several years drawn Muhammad uh, pictures and do, done other stuff and has been living under death threats for the last six or seven years. He, he's, he's had several protected uh, places where he can live and he's, he's uh, has bodyguards. And in despite of this, in, in February 2015, there was an attempt uh, at his life when he was visiting Copenhagen to to participate in some event. So, it it is really scary that uh, this mm. is happening. Is he still alive? Yeah, in yeah. Sweden, Denmark, where you think everything is yeah safe. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like I said, there there are no quick solutions and answers, um, and I don't. I, I admire people like him absolutely. They, they are the heroes 
of our day. Um, but it's so ridiculous to think that that these people just just expressing their opinion. That's all they're doing. They not there's no physical violence involved or nothing. It's it, it's just words or or drawings or and it's became it was blown up completely out of proportion. And and how it it is uh, relevant to skepticism and skeptics is the the idea of being free to criticize other ideas. Uh, because that's essential for critical thinking, that's essential for skepticism, and that's essential for science and scientific thinking as well. I think it was, um, no, I'm pretty sure that it was uh, Tim Minchin. Uh, Tim Minchin, um, do you know that uh, the part of his gigs um, titled The Sacredness or Sacred? Uh, when he's playing around with uh, with the uh, Quran and uh, the Harry Potter yes. and the, the yeah, Deathly I've Hallows, seen, I've seen that bit. Yeah, I've seen that bit. And he he makes a very very important point, and it's a very interesting point that if a person or an object becomes sacred, so much so that it's beyond criticism, then it inevitably leads to corruption. Because whoever is impossible to criticize can do anything. And when it comes to violence, and they try to silence those who are criticizing them by being violent, it's not a civilized way of dealing with stuff. So that that obviously means that you have no arguments, you have no reasons behind what you're doing, you're just doing it for the sake of it. You're just doing it just because. Um, because an ancient, or probably not even ancient, um, scripture tells you so. It's just not right. Oh, by the way, ancient uh, scripture. Uh, do you know what else happened on this day, the 20th of May? No, but you will tell us. I'm sure. The first council of uh, Nicaea. Mm-hmm. Do you vaguely remember or know what it was? I'm not old enough. I wasn't around. Ah, uh, yeah, it was in uh, three three twenty five. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was already um, the the time of uh, Christianity gaining ground, and um, it was uh, convoked by Emperor Constantine the uh, first, who's who's also be constantly referred to as. Uh, a great Constantine. And what it did was basically uh, formulating and proclaiming the canon law. There is a misconception about that, though. Um, it was not dealing with the biblical scriptures. Mm, I so, thought so. I thought that's when they sorted out the... No. I'm probably on the misconception side here, where they they divided into apocryphal and the true. Uh, uh, no, it know, it came no? it came with uh, with later councils. Okay, there were lots later. and lots of those councils. They mm. still didn't get uh, it quite right, I think, in my opinion. But fine. Oh uh, yeah, mm -hmm. probably not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And th there is one other misconception about uh, uh, Constantine, uh, the emperor. As a tour guide who who worked a lot in um, in Italy and uh, Rome as well, I came across a lot of books as well 
um, especially these these guidebooks that can be bought um, in every bookstore. And they tend to mention that uh, Constantine the Great uh, actually made Christianity... State religion. The state religion, which is not the case. So it was much later, in 380, I believe, um, than it became a state religion. Yeah, the first council of uh, Nicaea uh, started on uh, May the 20th as well. Okay, thanks very much, Yelena. You're welcome. I think it's about time uh, to move on to the events that are coming up in the week, the 20th of uh, May and on, up until the next episode is out, which is going to be the 27th of May. So, let's see what is on offer. On Saturday, the 21st of May, there will be a Skeptics in the Pop social event in Göteborg. Did I pronounce it well, Pontus? Uh, Perfectly, perfectly. Okay. Uh, Which is uh, also called Gothenburg. Uh, That's in Sweden. So, go along if you feel like it. Um, It's a social, so no particular topic. You just... Go along and have fun. Uh, there'll be uh, Barcelona Skeptics in the pub on the Saturday 21st of May. It's going to be uh, a talk by Antonio Deonate, who we have actually interviewed on our podcast. How very exciting. Mm, yeah. um, and the talk will be uh, titled The Middle Ages in the Public Eye and in Reality. Very interesting. Yes, it really sounds so. Check it out if you are in Barcelona. On the same date, and actually on, at the same time, roughly, uh, our uh, friend uh, Diana Barbosa and uh, her gang, who Diana was also had on the show, uh, are having a Skeptics in the Pub in Porto, in Portugal, where they will talk about space-time dynamics. They will talk about dark matter, dark energy, or dark gravity. Sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Very good. On Sunday, there is no event that we know of, but on Monday, um, the 23rd of uh, May, there is a Skeptics in the Pub event in the beautiful city of York up in uh, northern England. It's uh, a soapbox night. It says, it could be you, uh, that is the speaker. Um because they encourage uh, everyone who has something that wa- that they want to get off their chest um, to talk about it. So if if it is science and evidence based, then the floor is open. So if you're around York, which I do recommend you travel up there if you can, then go along and participate. Probably even give a talk. On May uh, 23rd, Monday, same day as York, there will be Sheffield Skeptics in the pub. And the talk given by Susie Gage is called No Turn Unstoned. <laughs> the harms and benefits of recreational drugs. Um, playing on the word unstoned, stone there. Anyway, the media love to sensationalize the dangers of uh, illicit drug use whilst downplaying or even ignoring the harm from legal drugs. And so Susie will take us on a trip through the current scientific understanding of the harms and also potential benefits of recreational drugs, both illegal and legal. Oh, I hope she doesn't talk about alcohol because alcohol is good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I'd, I'd like to add here that uh, Yelena is not an alcoholic. She just 
We're working on that. So she just loves alcohol. That's 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 two separate things. <laughs> Awkward silence. <All> right. <laughs> Awkward silence. I think it's you. Carry on, Anders. You were going to tell us about Pint of Science Festival, which has got the word pint in it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, actually true. Um, uh, we heard about uh, the Pint of Science Festival from Eggman, uh, who's uh, the organizer of uh, Glasgow Skeptics in the Pub and a prominent figure of Glasgow Skeptics. You might remember hearing his voice on the show as well when he was... Uh, uh, promoting Skepticaly. But now it's the Pint of Science Festival, which is uh, not only happening in the UK, many um, places in the UK, actually. There are there are loads of uh, venues, but it is happening globally, actually, between the 23rd and the 25th of May 2016. And the countries involved in this uh, Pint of Science Festival is the United Kingdom, France, Spain, Italy, the United States, Australia, Brazil, Canada, Austria, South Africa, Germany and Ireland. So it's quite international and in every country there are uh, several venues uh, where you can hear people talk about their field of science and scientific research in the most interesting way. So it's a fantastic initiative so if you go to pintofscience.com, then you'll see a list of these countries and you can choose your country uh, of interest. Uh, so if um, either um, you're traveling or you live in that country, uh, it's worth checking it out. It's happening between the 23rd and the 25th of May. And on the 24th, I'm flying back from Hungary to the UK. Good for you. I just hmm. wanted to mention that. Mm, sure. Very, very valuable piece of information. Yeah, don't miss that event. <laughs> don't miss that event. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be in the airport with placards. <laughs> yeah. Andres, welcome home. <laughs> Fuck off. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> go home, Andres. Go home. <laughs> we hate immigrants. <laughs> All right. Oh. On the twenty-fifth of uh, May. Uh, in in Bristol, uh, Dr. Kimberly Wade has uh, a, a talk about um, false memories t- titled "Can Digital Forgeries Change Your Memory?" Uh, she is an associate professor in psychology at the University of Warwick, so uh, I hope that means she knows what she's talking about. It's very interesting uh, topic: how you can get people to to uh, misremember things, and I guess this is about uh, what you see on video images and things like that that can influence your memory in uh, yeah making you thinking you remember things that you don't really uh, that didn't really happen mm-hmm. on 25th the Jotteboy skeptics again have an event it's called speech on bliss symbolics with a guy called Mats Lundelv I had to look up what bliss symbolics was uh, or what it is do you know what it is Nope. No. No. Apparently, it's a, a a language that is only written with different symbols, and uh, you it's not it's not related to to how you pronounce the language at all. So it's a language on on with, with just symbols. Uh, it sounds very intriguing. I have never heard of it before. Hmm. Really sounds good. Hmm. 
Okay. On on Thursday, 26th of May, there will be a Skeptics in the Pub in Tenerife. Uh, and uh, the theme of the uh, meeting will be Gravitational Waves, 100 Years of Einstein's General Relativity. Wow, 100 years already. Mm. I, I'm really intrigued about this. I want to go to the Canary Islands, to Tenerife, and, yeah. because they seem to have a very active uh, skeptics yeah, very uh, movement there. Yeah, very interesting. And, uh, and I like the climate, so I'll, I'd like to be there. All right. So thank you very much, guys. Our pleasure, isn't it, just Pontus? Sure. Tell, tell him. Yeah. That's what we get paid for. Oh, no, we don't get paid. So Yeah, we don't. Um, <laughs> but since we're not getting paid... Um, we are free to talk about whatever we want. Well, what do you mean? Big Pharma pays us every day. Mm, yeah. If uh, you have some uh, topics or some events um, that you would like us to talk about on the show, then don't hesitate to let us know. Um, we are happy to do it for you uh, for free. You can follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu. You can also email us info at theesp.eu you can also fill in the um, uh, contact form on our website theesp.eu or you can like us on Facebook yes or you know what you could even write a review on iTunes and why not accompany that with five stars Mm, that would be good yeah that would be good from time to time I uh, do um, a quick search google search for ourselves and um, sometimes there are very nice comments on different forums about us and uh, there are um, um, a few blog posts or articles here and there Uh, so if you decide to give us a shout out um, on your blog or uh, in one of the the facebook threads uh, where you're commenting um, please let us know so that we can at least feel proud that we have uh, such an outreach. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that we mentioned that we are free to talk about whatever we want, let's talk about a few interesting, sometimes very shocking topics. So let's move on. In Sweden, there is a chiropractic called Hanna Brus, a lady who is... It's really interesting because she is a skeptic and very scientifically minded. And normally when we talk about chiropractics, uh, we uh, we talk about, un, well, pseudoscience and, and uh, bad stuff from our point of view. Yeah. But she's really interesting. She, she started out as... Uh, she wanted... She didn't know that chiropractic was not really based in science so she just wanted to be you know she selected that as a profession and when she was almost well during her education she realized this is a lot of bullshit here mm. but she she completed her 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 education she, she's now a, a registered chiropractic and she challenged her colleagues and she challenged uh, and she keeps on challenging uh, chiropractic as or the the, the pseudo scientific parts of uh, of chiropractics. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but she still keeps calls herself a, a chiropractic, and she is also debating a lot of things. Anyway, so she she is a kind of an anomaly in in the world of uh, chiropractic. 
the reason I bring her up is that she wrote, recently wrote a piece in, in a Swedish newspaper about uh, electromagnetic sensitivity. Uh, it's been in the news quite a lot in, in Sweden lately because several schools, or a few schools, I would say, have sanitized classrooms to cater for certain kids. And she, she wrote this as a response to this. The header of the piece was, No child should grow up with a fear of electricity. Mm. And it's a really excellent piece. And she hits the nail on the head and have very good comments. Uh, she says that uh, about spending money on trying to remove electrical fields from schools, she says it's like, quote, like pre prescribing a diet for an anorectic. <laughs> and so I, I think that's quite quite good because, you know, the anorectic would be very happy about this uh, advice, but it's not helping. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And she goes on then to say that what if the parents were afraid of evil spirits at school? Would you call the Ghostbusters? <laughs> good one so I, I think it's really very very good piece it's not very long but it made uh, quite uh, uh, an impact on the Facebooks and the internets in, in, in Sweden what is the actual service that she's offering then so what what kind of therapies uh, does she do I, I'm, I'm not quite sure but what the, the, the services she, she does provide are scientifically based so i i guess she's more like a like a therapist with you know massage and stuff but she does not subscribe to any of the um of the pseudoscience of the genre so is it some something uh, more similar to what an orthopedist does yeah I, you know i can look into it because I, i'm not i'm not quite sure but uh, i know i know her more for the debate articles that she writes and and uh some public speeches she has and also that she's hated by her colleagues i can i can add also that about 200,000 euros per year is given by the government to a non-profit organization for electromagnetic sensitive people oh. and it's really money in the drain because they don't spend any money in my opinion to help they they are just spending money to to enforce the the misconception that electromagnetic uh, radiation is is bad for you yeah thanks very much um i have um a, a piece of news well it's a, a more a discussion topic from um the uh, article in the guardian um and uh, it's about how scientists are figuring out the keys to convincing people uh, about global warming. So uh, it talks about America quite a bit because in America, a uh, majority of Republicans mm -hmm. still don't believe in man-made climate change. The, you know, they're, they're talking about how the, this can be changed um, and what scientists um, um, are thought best strategy for it. Um, and... So the social scientist Dan Kahn um, has argued that ideological and cultural uh, identity can be quite strong and information can't break through it. And so Kahn actually thinks that on certain issues like climate change, ideological bi biases make many conservatives immune to facts. Mm. Well, that almost sounds a bit like re religion if you if you think about it, you know, belief yeah, it in is, God. Yeah, it is. is, is <laughs> quite like religion, yeah. I think. 
Um, and so even the conservatives with a higher education are still um, kind of wrong about climate change and uh, in what seems to be coined the smart idiot effect. So they, they are smart and they are educated, but they kind of talk them, themselves out of the understanding the problem. So basically, um, the consensus that the scientists came to in terms of um, sort of looking at it is that basically public needs to be educated about the climate change and how um, it affects the planet and that it actually is um, the product of human activity. Um, and so in the new study led, led by Jing Shi, um, the author surveyed a, a total of 2,495 people in Canada, China, Germany, Switzerland, UK and America. And the, uh, they asked the questions to evaluate the participants' specific knowledge about the physical characteristics of climate change and understanding of its causes and consequences. And so the critically, what, what they found was that knowledge about the causes of climate change was correlated with the higher concerns about climate change in all countries and knowledge about the consequences was linked to higher concern in most countries. Um, so respondents from Germany and Switzerland had significantly higher scores on knowledge about physical aspects of climate change than participants from Canada and the US. I'm a bit surprised about the Canada. I'm not surprised about the US. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I have um, warmer feelings about Canada, actually. <laughs> but Canada has um, ca Canada is very, is very uh, reliant on oil production so i think it's it's not only that it's not only that don't forget that um the canadian government uh, the former canadian government was absolutely keen on um on putting away this this issue and not even have it talked about um so it, it is not that much of a surprise to me to be honest uh, that seems to be changing now with uh, the the new uh, government yeah. under um, uh, Trudeau, and uh, yeah, now they actually have a person in the as the head of the department who actually knows this knows about this stuff. So that yeah, great. <laughs> so it's it helps. And the other thing is that the Harper government was very keen on silencing um, uh, actual scientists. So they were not allowed to talk publicly about their, their research. And that, that was, and climate scientists were uh, affected by that as well. Yeah. Just want to cover a few more countries because it was quite interesting to read. So the ch apparently Chinese respondents knew significantly more about the cause of climate change than re respondents from the other countries. And the German and Swiss respondents were most knowledgeable about the consequences of climate change. Uh, in contrast, participants from the US had the lowest level of knowledge about climate change uh, amongst the six countries that were surveyed. So, um, again, China, I'm surprised about China as well, uh, because we all know that China became a, a massive global leader in production and uh, manufacturing, and they have they emit a lot of um, CO2, don't, don't, do yeah. they not? I mean, I thought... Yeah, they do. China just just kind of jumped into it and they don't particularly care. But maybe they don't care, but they are aware of, of the causes of climate change. I'm not sure. Obviously, the, the, the um, report wasn't specific enough or uh, provided more details. Mm -hmm. So 
in short, um, as, as, as illustrated um, in, uh, in this poll numbers, people who realize that humans are causing global warming are more likely to be concerned about the problem. Um, again, China is mentioned. Uh, the Chinese respondents had the most knowledge about the causes of global warming, with the Germans and Swiss participants most accurately answering the questions about its consequences. And these nationalities are also expressed the greatest concern about climate change. Americans, however, showed the least climate knowledge and the least concern. Um, which, of course, is worrying because America has got such a uh, big influence on the world politics and policies, etc. Yeah. So, basically, um, scientists have uh, identified several key pieces of knowledge that might convince people, even conservatives, uh, about the need to tackle global warming. So, um, people realize humans are causing global warming. Um, they're more likely to be concerned about the problem. So mm-hmm. then, of course, um, uh, when people understand how the greenhouse effects actually work, they're more likely to accept human-caused global warming um, across the political spectrum. Um, and also uh, people who are aware that actually there is 9200% expert consens- consensus on human-caused global warming. If people are aware of how scientists actually agreeing amongst themselves and they, they there is it's a high consensus like i don't think there is any other uh, area of science that that's agreeing so much people apparently will take it on board more willingly so just educating and saying to people look scientists have long decided that that is uh, it is happening now on the um side of how scientists can uh, influence uh, political decisions and policies. What has been happening for a while, and just like you mentioned, uh, Andres, scientists um, in some countries have been silenced because the truth or the the numbers aren't convenient for politicians. Um, and also in some instances, and in some instances, scientists um, had to sort of massage the numbers, if you know what I mean, and make them look acceptable for to be reported by uh, or be accepted by politicians um, uh, yeah. in, enacted upon. So, so basically, politicians want good news. They want to hear that is it is still possible to limit the, the temperature increase to a certain. Uh, Level, so we, we're talking about two percent. I don't know how how aware people are, but this two percent is a, a magical figure. So if we increase the temperatures over two percent, survival of humankind is very questionable. So basically, they want to hear that it is still possible to limit temperatures to two percent, uh, and even more, they want to hear that they can do so while avoiding aggressive emission cuts in the near term. Um, and so, um, climate scientists feel pressured to provide the good news. So they're worried that if they don't, if they come off as alarmist or hectoring, they will simply be ignored or uh, boxed out of the debate. Um, And so they construct models showing that it is possible to hit the 2% target. And the message is always is, we're running out of time. We've only got uh, five or 10 years to turn things around, but we can do it if we put our minds to it. Now, this was the message in 1990 and then in 2000 and then in 2010. How can we still have five or ten years left? Hmm. And the answer—it's not the message anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> and uh, the answer is that scientists are uh, baking, <laughs> for, for better term, increasingly unrealistic assumptions into their models 
to police politicians and they should stop mm. doing it. And um, what made me laugh, not in a good way, not in ha-ha, but reading the article about a client change deniers um, and percentages of people in America who don't believe in climate change, man-made climate change, and how we're actually heading to uh, a catastrophe, and this can be measured in the next, you know, 20, 30, 50 years, very uh, realistic future, and people are still not accepting the fact that the climate change is happening. So I'm kind of thinking, well, isn't it ironic We'll probably be all well. It's it's very you know highly exaggerated, but we'll be dead like in hundred years time, and yet some people will think, well, I don't know what happened, but it wasn't you know it wasn't our fault. Um, so I guess scientists have to stick to their guns, stand up, and uh, stick to the numbers and um, say it as it is. Um, the dramatic cuts have to be made to global emission and i guess a lot of politicians work on this on the basis uh, that you know i don't care what happens after me i'm gonna serve my term i'm gonna do whatever i'm gonna make scientists to say nice things and right things and after me there's a saying in russian after me i don't care if there's a flood it's interesting to see that there is a very typical reaction that people have about climate change and have had all the time so the first reaction is no it's not happening and then you prove it to them well it does happen and then they okay it may be happening but it's not our fault and then you prove to them well it is your fault and then they suddenly go to the well it's too late to do anything it, it it's very common pattern that people go through that that uh, those stages and nobody comes to the conclusion let's do something that's very strange yeah and um, yeah the other thing is that uh, um Yalona mentioned that uh, what what was uh, the the actual message in the 1990s uh in the 1990s there was still um a scientific debate about the numbers about what the rate of uh, of warming is uh what the because because the models the the, the actual climate models were not good enough they were not accurate enough then it shifted towards more of a when when the science became more and more clear um it shifted towards a risk management issue that should have been dealt with by the governments uh, worldwide but now it's not even a risk management issue anymore it's now damage control so that's that's the stage we're at now and it's going to be like that for the next couple of decades because that's what we're dealing with. There is damage done. There is harm being done to economies, to whole societies, to countries, to cities, to people. And, and the actual ecosystems. And we have to deal with that. That's it. So we shouldn't be denying the facts no. anymore. I think in a way, it's very difficult for people to accept very bad news. So it's much easier to put your fingers in your ears and go la 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 la. Um, it's it's very you know, I, and I totally uh, I get it. But um, we I think all have to man up, grow up, and accept responsibility. This is this is one quote I was looking for. Just one more. There is no, there is not a politician on earth who wants to tell his or her constituencies we've probably already blown our chances to avoid substantial suffering. But if we work really hard and devote our lives to the cause, we can somewhat reduce the even worse suffering that awaits our grandchildren. 
And I think that's becoming more and more bottom line now. But nobody on earth would say that. Not even uh, I. Not even Bernie. I. I wouldn't be that. I wouldn't be that uh, pessimistic about the, the 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 whole situation. And there are people actually saying that. Uh, and those are the politicians I respect for actually standing up and being ready to say it. So no question about that. Oh, fine. But do they get um, elected? No. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't... At the end of the day, guys, um, people believe what they feel, what they make what make them feel good. If it doesn't make them feel mm. good, they're not going to fucking believe it. They're just going to go deny it all over the place. So, yeah. and how are you going to make them feel good by saying that, look, if you're not going to stop using your car, flying, um, burning fuel, uh, electricity, and living in caves, you know, then you're not going to save the planet. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, then, then we're coming to the issue of uh, long-term thinking. So if, if you're not thinking long-term... Uh, you won't be able to recognize the need for education because the more educated the public is, the more likely they are to elect someone who actually tells the truth and not what they want to hear, uh, but actually is stand, uh, ready to stand up and say what the reality is and say, okay, you know, there are quotes from Churchill, you know, blood and and tears. <laughs> so... Bloody hell. Yeah, that's... That was some time ago. <laughs> yeah, that was some time ago. But uh, that was what needed to be said. Because that was the actual truth. It wasn't a, an easy ride. It, it it wasn't just something like, okay, we're gonna defeat the Germans like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> come on. Uh, that's the, the Donald Trump kind of rhetoric. That, okay, it's gonna be like that. I'm gonna make a decision like that. Yeah, you know, that's because you don't have a fucking clue of what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, we mentioned Canada, right? Uh, we all know about the tragic story of um, Ezekiel Stefan, uh, the child who died of meningitis in Canada mm. that yes. has been all over the news worldwide, yeah, right? Sure. Um, and the parents were found guilty of uh, failing to provide necessaries uh, of life for, the, for their son but by not having him vaccinated. Some have probably even heard about another tragic story from Poland from last year, uh, when a four-year-old was tortured and starved to death by his own mother, who eventually took her own life as well. So why I'm referring to these is because there is one thing that... There is one case that is pretty similar to those. It's the tragic story I'm going to share with you. And it's... Um, it happened in Hungary three years ago. Why it is a topic for today is because the court of the first instance just came out with a verdict in the case of the death of an infant named Benjamin. He was born into a rather well-to-do family, hugely influenced by a New Asia ideology. And tragically, that was the only thing that prevented him from growing up as a healthy individual. He died a horrible, horrible death at the age of nine months. Contrary to what his parents had believed, he suffered no medical issues whatsoever until he started displaying signs of malnutrition a couple of months after uh, being born. Now, there are many details that are still unknown. 
largely due to a total lack of interest shown by the majority of the members of press, which is completely incomprehensible to me. Because it's a terrible case. It's a showcase of how human stupidity and idiocy can lead to a horrible death of a child. When it broke out in 2013, the narrative was that they had been trying to sun-feed the child. Oh, boy. Sun-feed? Yeah, feed, feed the child on sunlight. Right, yeah, yeah. But that only shows how little everyone cared about the whole thing, because during the course of the case, it was not even mentioned once. So some uh, journalist came up with this uh, expression, and it started circulating like crazy all over the media uh, in back in 2013, and then it died out. The whole topic was was totally lost for everyone. So for two years, no one cared. Uh, there was one and only one journalist who actually attended all the hearings of the trial. One journalist. And my interpretation is based on her account. Uh, so apparently the family has been strictly controlled by the grandfather, who's a successful businessman with uh, a great wealth and is uh, actually the father of the young mother uh, to to this child. Based on their own accounts, uh, they all had always been very keen on naturopathy and all things believed to be natural. When the child was born, everything seemed to be normal for a while. Then they started to believe their child had been born with some kind of deficiency that drove them to, towards trying to find the solution to the problem. Mind you, it was a problem that hadn't even existed in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, as they went on with their quest, the child suffered more and more. And they failed to recognize that. So, what they they thought it, that it was uh, that it was all due to the child's terrible condition that they believed had been present. So first they cancelled the health visitor service, which is quite a serious thing to do in Hungary, as the health visitor plays a significant role in taking care of an infant with all the advices they give. And I'm pretty sure that it's the case in many other countries as well. Um, But by law... It, 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 it has to be uh, going on for uh, a couple of months very frequently, on a, on a weekly basis, actually. And uh, then they decided to choose... Uh, so they, they cancelled the health uh, visitor service, and then they, they decided to choose a different pediatrician to, to the person they, they all had already visited. And their choice was based on the fact that the person was a homeopath, so that's that was the only reason why they chose that woman. Although they paid several visits to the medical practice of this woman, uh, she did not recognize the symptoms of malnutrition, which was a huge failure on her part. Um, she ordered several examinations, though, uh, to, to her defense, which were never carried out. But she also failed to follow up on them. She prescribed a few homeopathic remedies. They obviously didn't help. Um, but apparently, uh, they soon lost confidence in her as she ordered conventional examinations, actually. 
So, you know, all the, the, the practices of conventional medicine, an establishment that they didn't believe in. So they went on to find a bioenergeticist. What, what is that? I have never heard that word, term before. Never heard that term before? Bioenergetics? Well, I know I can sort of guess, but I've never heard it. Bioenergetics is the notion that uh, your body parts uh, and your bodily functions are um, expressed in uh, certain um, energy vibrations. And those can be measured and those can be manipulated as well with uh, certain devices, um, like a bioresonance device, for example. So the man examined the child, this little Benjamin, and actually only a couple of days before the child's death, the person found all the organs of the, the infant to be in perfect shape apart from his heart that he estimated to function at about 80%. So then, a couple of days later, the child was dead. And from, from he starved to death, basically. He starved to death, basically. Horrible. So he started showing the symptoms, you know, the, those symptoms that you see in in video footages from African childs starving mm. very badly. So the... And, and mind you, we're talking about a nine-month-old child, yeah. which is terrible. So the, the, the head, the proportions are starting to get distorted very, very badly. Um, and there was a post-mortem uh, carried out and... That was when they they really recognized the the symptoms of malnutrition. Hmm. So there started the, the court case, the actual court case. So the verdict of the court of first instance is the following. 15 years in prison for both the parents and the grandparents for failing to provide suitable nutrition and care for the child that resulted in the infant's early death from serious malnutrition. Uh, but the shocking part of the verdict is is this. The two other people involved, you know, the pediatrician who is actually a homeopath. Homeopath, yeah. And this uh, bioenergeticist. Uh, they got one year and two years in prison, respectively. But both of them got suspended uh, sentence. The only thing is that the bioenergeticist... Uh, is banned from practicing uh, bioenergetics for five years. Hmm. That's it. So they both were allowed to leave the courtroom freely. As for the for the parents and the grandparents, uh, they were actually uh, taken into custody uh, right away um, after the the sentence was uh, um, stated. But they all appealed including uh, the the actual prosecutor because the prosecutor uh, th um, found the verdict to be too light yeah so they they want to to um, uh, go further and we are actually um, planning to act on this and uh, bring it more to the public eye because it was not really widely covered 
in the news either in uh, the couple of last uh, couple of days since um, the verdict. So with the Hungarian Skeptic Society, we are planning on finding out as much as possible about the case. So obviously, we don't want to to um, base our um, opinions and our statements about uh, this issue on on half information and uh, not properly backed up uh, uh, data. So we want to find out as much as possible and then go on and uh, try to make it more publicly uh, available, this information, and, and raise public awareness about this. Because it's a terrible case of being misled and uh, adjusting your own practices, adjusting your own child's welfare uh, to your sure. idiotic yeah. ideologies. Now, this is what happens if you if you if you put your you know primary healthcare yeah. into homeopaths and other you know quack quacks. This these things are happening, yeah, and they're happening terrible. around the world. And I remember there was a big case in America recently where, where the faith healing couple who prayed and rubbed oil on the head of their sickly newborn mm. um, got sure. to prison for letting them, him die, basically. Yeah. So they. Uh, he was yeah. born uh, prematurely, and instead of going to calling nine one one and asking for assistance, they prayed for mm. him. And what happened? The poor baby died. I mean, it didn't even have a chance. Mm. Yeah. But it's uh, it's inexplicable how um, even when it comes to a child, people still prone to the lapse in judgment. Mm. Yeah. So we we have to have our our voices heard. Uh, because there is a lot to say about this to the public. And um, I agree with the prosecutor, actually, that uh, especially in the case of uh, these, these two practitioners, it was not what they deserved for their practices, their, their involvement in the death, the horrible death of a young child. Very sad. Yelena. Yes, Andres. I think we would all like to hear um, about yet another logical fallacy that is frequently encountered by skeptics. And today's fallacy is a really quite frequent and wildly used mm. all over the place. It's called the Strawman fallacy. Um, and it's a substituting a person's actual position or argument with a distorted, exaggerated or misrepresented version of the position of the argument. And I'm sure I'm not going to be mistaken if I tell all of us here, me, Pons and Anderson, come to that in our lifetimes. Um, and it won't be an exaggeration, but uh, it happens very often because it's, you know, it's emotional appeal to whatever, you know, and uh, pressing the buttons. Um, so I've got a couple of the examples, and I'm sure um, Anderson Ponce, you probably can think of a few yourself. Um, so when somebody says, for example, biological evolution is both a theory and a fact, um, then the opponent can say, well, this is ridiculous. How can you possibly be absolutely certain that we uh, evolved from the pond scum? And the uh, uh, original person would say, actually, that is a gross misrepresentation of my asser assertion. I never claimed we evolved from pond scum. Unlike math and logic, science is based on empirical evidence and therefore scientific fact is something that is confirmed to such a degree that it would be perverse to withhold provisional consent. 
Um, so yeah, basically, you make a statement, somebody goes off on a tangent and just says, oh, so you say this, and you know, completely exaggerated position. And the example too, um, I've got about religion, again, mm-hmm. it's a very <laughs> easy thing to use. Um, easy target, yeah. Yeah, very easy. So let's say a person A would say, what is your view on the Christian God? And person B would say, I don't believe in any gods, including the Christian one. And person A would say, well, so you think that we are here by accident and all this design in nature is pure chance and the universe just created itself. And the person B would say, you got all that from me stating that I just don't believe in any gods. So yeah, it can escalate really pretty quickly. And people make assumptions and jump from A to like Z (laughs) straight away. So... I think it's a very easy fallacy to recognize. And I think that everybody, including myself and us, are are guilty of using it sometimes because, you know, it's easy to. So so you believe that just because this, then that it's easy to, to just go to that place uh, when you're a bit emotional, etc. So be aware of that. Don't use it yourself yeah. and don't accept it from others. Yeah, and also, um, I guess in an argument, if the argument or if if the situation permits, it's I guess it's easier to it's easy enough to explain your position and then uh, provide some evidence and s- certain steps in an argument where you would say no, this is not the case, and this is why X X Y Z. You said jumping to conclusions, jumping from A to Z without any steps in between. But that step is actually um, constructing a straw man. Constructing something that you can easily attack. Because you cannot easily attack, for example, when it comes to uh, the questions of religion and evolution. You cannot easily attack evolution. Because it's not an easy target. But when you when you want to attack evolution, if you want to debate well, if you want to put up a proper argument you should be ready to understand or you should understand well what the mechanisms of evolution are. But once you do that, you're losing the argument. You're losing your position because it holds up. You you can't attack it just like that. So this is why they, they usually jump to a statement like, uh, yeah, we just jumped right out of a pond um just like that yeah sure so there are there are lots and lots and lots of um uh, examples to 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 that and there are several ways to to try to interpret uh, a strawman as well but it's a good one it's a very frequent one and uh i'm sure listen, many listeners will recognize it as well yeah um and for the longest time i've uh, when uh, since i started doing the, the fallacies i haven't like i didn't know the names but now it's like great to go oh, okay that's what this fallacy is called oh, yeah. and, you know that's yeah and that's what the logic behind it is and so. so this is why we're doing this and this is why i i thank you very much all right my pleasure for doing it yeah So, Monsieur Buckman, oui. Has anyone been really wrong lately? You bet they have. You bet they have. So, um, today's prize for being really wrong goes to Prince Charles of England, no less. So, what is he famous for, except for being a, uh, you know, a prince and all? He's very. He's fond- very ugly. Yeah, and he's also very fond of 
what homeopathy homeopathy and he's been at it again so this made quite a, some noise on the the internet uh, last week uh, he was giving a speech on antimicrobial resistance at the royal society in london mm. so first of all who invites a prince to deliver a speech on antimicrobial resistance does he have any i mean what the hell does he know about antimicrobial or microbial <laughs> about anything for that matter about anything yeah okay but anyway they did <laughs> and what he did he was he's, he's talking about uh farming and how he has abandoned most of uh, proper medicine and uh, antibiotics in his farms in in uh, in favor of homeopathy instead Right. <laughs> Go figure. So so I, I think I should give him some credit where credit is due. It's good not to overuse antibiotics. We all know that that is a problem. Mm, yeah. Replace Replacing it with homeopathy, uh, not so much. Huh? Uh, and maybe we talk about homeopathy uh, very often, I think, on, on, on this show. Maybe we should just quickly back up and see what it, what it is. The principle is that you believe that like cures like. So if you have something that, if you if you have a headache, you find something that causes a headache, and use that as a remedy. But of course, you can't do it as it is. So you dilute it into uh, water often, uh, so many times and so much so that there's actually nothing of the original substance in the water when you're done. And then you take that water, and you may drop it on a pill of sugar. And then you say, this is my remedy against the headaches. It's clearly a, 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 a ridiculous idea. And this has been your Crash Course Homeopathy with Pontus Böckmann. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but it is a ridiculous idea. And nevertheless, you people have tried, tested it and tested it and tested it. And no well-controlled uh, study can find any efficacy of this except maybe a placebo effect anyway prince charles heavily supports something <laughs> called hall homeopathy at welly level which is a non not-for-profit uh, organization with by the way the ugliest website i've ever seen uh, who and they train farmers in homeopathy they have trained uh, they claim to have trained uh, about 500 farmers in homeopathy and there is uh, according to the Department for Environment, Food and Rural, Rural Affairs, there is about 38 homeopathic vets in, in the UK. Nice. Uh, really nice. Yeah. It's getting worse in the UK. I'm sure it does. I, I don't yeah. know. This thing spreads like wildfire. Well, the Good Thinking Society is doing some very good good work against homeopathy for, for, for people. But I, I wonder if this... Uh, mm. Uh, still have they still have things to do when it comes to to uh, vets veterinarians mm -hmm. so so we shouldn't overuse antibiotics and there in many in most countries there are regulations against that so so again prince charles is right that you shouldn't overuse antibiotics but homeopathy is just water on a sugar pill it's not the answer yeah it's not the answer yeah. no it's not the answer yeah. by the way um if you're interested in an in a more in-depth analysis of the antibiotics uh, resistance, uh, I would recommend listening to the latest episode of SGU. 
the skeptic's guide mm. to the universe where they yes. discuss it in detail and it is very yeah. very good so go ahead and 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 listen to it so prince charles uh, statement here or his speech didn't go unchallenged uh, <laughs> for instance john john blackwell who is a senior vice president of the british veterinary association the bva he dismissed homeopathy out of hand and said BVA cannot endorse the use of homeopathic remedies or indeed any products making therapeutic claims which have no proven efficacy. That's very clearly concise. If, yes, you, don't, it is. if you can't prove that it works, don't use it, right? He goes on to say that the relying on homeopathy can lead to serious consequences to animal health and welfare. Uh, and so... Don't use homeopathy instead of medicine when the animal is actually sick. So um, that's right. So for misleading the public and promoting homeopathy, again, Prince Charles gets today's prize for being really wrong. Very well deserved. Indeed. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. I'm afraid uh, this is about time to wrap up the show. So to do that, I'd like to ask you, Yelena, to set us off with a nice quote. I've got a quote for you from uh, Martin H. Fischer, who was a German-American physician and writer. And he said this, It is not hard to learn more. What is hard is to unlearn when you discover yourself wrong. Mm. So bloody true. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the spot, Absolutely. doesn't it, yeah. for everyone? Uh, yeah, I can recognize this as myself as well. So, yeah, absolutely. My personal development included a phase when I was completely incapable of telling anyone that I was wrong. Hmm. And I developed um, kind of the tools to to persuade people, even if I was wrong, and uh, that's very scary. Yeah, but it's very, very human. I think that's that's a reaction. Nobody wants to be wrong, and uh, yeah, it's it hurts to be wrong. But uh, but if you look at it the right way, that's the way you learn. It's the skeptic movement uh, through which I learned that being wrong is not a terrible thing. Not being able to, not being capable of a, of uh, admitting that you are wrong. That is terrible. Guys, I've got a science joke. <laughs> no, seriously, I've got a science yeah. joke. We're already laughing. It's okay, go ahead. Okay. What's the difference between a mathematician and an experimentalist? What would that be? A mathematician thinks that two points are enough to define a straight line, while an experimentalist wants more data. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's funny. laughs> a good one. Thanks very much, Yelena. And All right. as a matter of fact, I'd like to thank you as well, Pontus. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. That's great. <laughs> thank you, Andras. It's been fun again yep. yes. uh, hosting the show with you. I hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. So meet you again next time. All right. Which is next week. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye.
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. On Saturday the 20th... Uh, f- fuck. 20th fuck. <clears throat> so. See yes, Oh, Sziasztok! <laughs> hey Sara, hey Sara! Is that, is that, is that what? No, close enough. Hey son, hey son. Hey son, hey son. Okay. <laughs> hey son, hey son. Hey son, what are you doing? So it's happening between the 23rd and the 25th. So it's happening with... Fuck it. It's happening with... El Skeptica and a Pube. <laughs> El Pube. <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. Monsieur, <gasps> Monsieur Buckman. Oui, oui, oui. I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited about that. Exciting. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> <coughs> no, I, I probably won't. <laughs>